One of the things in magic that we say when we cast a circle is we are between the worlds and what happens between the worlds affects and changes all the worlds. Hmm. So what does it mean then if we exist between the worlds, if we live between the worlds, if like that's the magic we're always bringing and existing in? And then what does that mean? Like what is the impact we can have on the rest of the world and on all the worlds? This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning. This week, we're talking with radical herbalist, healer, and witch, Dory Midnight. You'll hear us talk about her hilarious story of queer witchy magic from a young age, plants as allies, how activists can better care for our bodies and align with the earth, the role of imagination, and a disability justice lens on healing and liberation. Before we begin, we have an announcement for you. For the first time ever, we have added two new rewards to our Patreon account. If that doesn't mean anything to you, uh, Patreon is a platform on which the majority of you who have supported the podcast financially pledge to give us an automated monthly donation. This is massively meaningful for us as it is our primary source of community funding for this all-volunteer project to be able to pay for our expenses. So never before have we offered an exclusive gift on Patreon because we know that our community supports this work out of your commitment to reciprocity and the value that you place on what you hear and learn on this podcast. And Quite frankly, a lot of how the other podcasts on Patreon fundraise is by locking up their content behind a paywall, aka only donors get to hear the practices or episodes, and we are fundamentally opposed to that. First of all, we don't own these practices, so it would be ridiculous for us to sell them. Uh, And secondly, we want the people who need them most to be able to get access to them. That's the whole point of spreading this work via a podcast. And so we're not going to lock up these conversations behind something you have to pay for. But we still do have to raise money. And so Dory has generously offered us an exclusive batch of her incredibly sought-after essences or energetic medicines that you'll hear her, her talk more about and teach us how to make in the practice episode. And this particular essence is called Yes Liberation. Yeah. It is a reward to our donors, and we could not say no when Dory made this incredible offer. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that essence and how this works later in the episode. But for now, you can feel free to check it out on your own at patreon.com healingjustice. And that direct link is also in the show notes. That's Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash healing justice. Hey, so let me tell y'all a little bit about Dory Midnight. Dory practices community-based intuitive healing that weaves together plant and stone medicine, ancestral and queer magic, and justice work. Drawing on her training as a clinical herbalist and interfaith minister, as well as traditions from her Sephardi, Ashkenazi, and Romani ancestry, 
Dory's work is grounded in self-determinism, collective liberation, and the belief that healing ourselves is inseparable from healing our communities and the planet. Her work is inspired by a web of teachers, healers, artists, dreamers, and activists in disability and healing justice, earth-based Judaism, and queer liberation. Dory lives in Western Massachusetts, where she teaches, creates ritual, makes potions, and maintains a local and distance healing practice. You can learn more about Dory at her website at dorylandia.com. Thank you for joining us in the third floor healing room in Dory's house in Western Massachusetts. Here we go. Hi, Dory. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me here to your home and your gorgeous office where you see clients. Folks can check out the Instagram. There's like beautiful medicine everywhere and colorful blankets and plants and (laughs) sunshine. It's very dreamy. So thank you so much for hosting me. It's really sweet to have you in my house when I've been having your voice in my house for many months. Live with Kate. Wow. In the flesh. So I'm so excited to talk to you because you bring so clearly, I feel, your politics and your values to the medicine-making work that you do. Even not having known you personally, I can feel the presence of that and spaces that I've been in, like at Liberation School at the Highlander Center. We had your essences in the middle of the room and we're all using them throughout that time of building together. I'm excited to just sort of ask you a little bit about your own story. I would love to hear about just like when the spirituality and healing piece started weaving itself into your life and whether your activism work was simultaneous with that or preceded or came after, but what has been your story of kind of weaving these worlds together? Hmm. It's so interesting to be sitting here in this room sharing my story because this is a space that I sit with so many people holding their stories. That's like what I do every day. And so it's an adjustment to think about sharing my story, which is so present, of course, in my healing work and and with me. But it's not something I'm used to doing. I'm sort of reluctant extrovert or like an extroverted hermit or something where it's like I love connecting with people and love other people's stories so much. And it feels like there's a vulnerability to sharing one's own story. And also, like, I know so much the power of sharing one's own story because of Mm. getting to really hold people's deepest core stories and challenges and suffering and trauma and beautiful Mm. healing. My great-grandmother, when she would meet someone, the first thing she would ask people is, who are your people? And it was kind of like her, you know, it was like a way of like sussing people out and being like, who are your people? But I love that question in the way that it allows one to like locate oneself in one's body and in one's lineages. Like I think so much about when I open a workshop or any kind of like event or ritual that the very first thing that we do is acknowledge and offer gratitude to the ancestors of the land that we're on and how there's also sort of like this acknowledgement of the ancestors of our land, of ourselves, of our bodies by saying like who our people are. Both our blood lineages, but also who we've chosen and who's chosen us Mm. as our people. So my people are Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jews, which means Jews from Eastern Europe, from Latvia, Lithuania, and the Ukraine, and Romania, and also Jews who came through North Africa, Turkey, the Balkans, and Spain. 
that is like in my blood and it's something that I was also immersed in as a child. I grew up in like a very Jewish household in a very Jewish community in Los Angeles in the Valley. I'm a Valley girl. And <laughs> I would not have guessed that. It comes out like if you ever see me like on a dance floor or like every once in a while I'll do like a bang flip <laughs> the way I put on my eyeliner. Gotcha. Um, it's there. Yeah. So like, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be both a witch and a backup dancer, which I think like really spoke to <laughs> my, <laughs> the culture that made me. And, you know, I very young, like as a child, I heard and saw spirits. I was like very open. And I guess like now there's a language around empaths. Probably that would have been a word that I could have used then. But I was very connected and you know part of it was scary for me as a kid and luckily you know I'm so grateful that the way that my mom my I did I was taken to a psychologist at some point I don't remember how mm. old I was I was maybe like eight or nine because I was just so scared all the time and like was talking about spirits a lot I look back and I think that the work that I do now just because I believe that healing happens through and around time and that we can do time magic as we heal that like the blessings of my ancestors, the work that I do now, like I think there was something really protecting me at that time hmm. because I wasn't pathologized, I wasn't diagnosed, I wasn't medicated. And I, I don't know why, because I think it could have totally gone that way. But the doctor basically told my mom that I had an overactive imagination and that she should just be really careful about my exposure to movies and TV and books because basically I had a hard time separating what mm. was real from what wasn't, mm. which I think might be one of my biggest assets now. Mm. <laughs> so for me, like that was really young. And then as I came into my teenage years, I like came out as queer. I was exposed to feminism and did this like you know, it was the early 90s, so it was this kind of like diversity training workshops in my teens. And so I got politicized, I learned about feminism, I came out as a witch, and I came out as a sexual trauma survivor, kind of all around the same time. Wow. It was all in one. Being a witch and was being queer to me, and being queer was like part of my politics. And then soon after that, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 21. The kind of cancer that I had, I was like invited to be part of one of Aaron Brockovich's law cases because it was like this LA toxic exposure situation, yeah. which I was disqualified from sadly because both my parents were smokers and they wanted like a really tight case. But I think that too really brought me to a place of really feeling how my wounds as a trauma survivor, as a cancer survivor, like my wounds were my wounds, but they were also collective wounds. Hmm. Like that my body was experiencing what the earth was experiencing. And, you know, even though I grew up in a resourced home, in an owning class home, we lived on an edge of mixed class neighborhood and my body was exposed to a lot of toxins that a lot of poor people and a lot of people of color were exposed to, especially the people who worked in this plant. And so it was like what I was dealing with was like a collective wound and a wound that very much was at the intersection of race and class and gender. So like my rage was like my personal rage, but my rage was also, I felt it as a collective rage. I think that really brought me into a knowing that my healing was my healing, 
but it was also a healing that was for my ancestors, really feeling the traumas of my ancestors as someone whose ancestors did a lot of assimilating to survive, but also narrowly escaped a lot of genocidal situations throughout time. Healing connected me to Earth and connected me to other beings and was both personal and transpersonal. And that really brought me into doing healing work and learning about plants and stones in the most witchy of ways and also in the most practical, like how to survive cancer ways and all the places in between. Mm. So you talk about like knowing since you were very young that you were a witch or even coming out as a witch, like in your early teenage years. And I would just love to hear more about what that experience (laughs) is and like how you're defining witchiness for Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. I was always fascinated by books about witches as a kid. And who knows why? I mean, I feel like there's the way that past lives or ancestral wisdom whisper through me. There's such a feeling of loss and disconnection from those traditions that I think for me, part of coming into my politics was about connecting with something beyond and more than patriarchy and more than white supremacy. I could feel that to be true. And then just feeling really different. I think being queer around the same time and just feeling like I was weird already. Mm. Why not just even like be even weirder (laughs) in high school and just be like, well, if I'm not going to shave my legs, I might as well be a witch. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like in 10th grade, kind of in the first few weeks of 10th grade, I was in the school cafeteria and I was standing there in a miserable way that I think a lot of people experience 10th grade where I just couldn't handle feeling everybody's feelings there, but also feeling my own suffering. Mm. And I looked across the room and there was this beautiful flaming creature who had like impeccable makeup on and these jean shorts, remember this is LA in September, so jean shorts that were slit up the sides that were just held together with giant safety pins and like auburn magenta kind of hair. He was wearing heels, these kind of like booty heels. And I was like, who? are you? (laughs) And at the same time, he took me in and we kind of registered each other. He walked right over to me and put out his hand, which was manicured and was like, Christopher, I'm a priestess and a witch. Charmed to meet you. Wow. And in that moment, it was like we recognized in each other like a queer witch. And I was like, yeah, I'm Dory. I didn't have exactly like the same savoir-faire as Christopher. I was in more of a separatist feminist moment where I was just like, hi, I'm Dory. (laughs) I fucking hate high school. (laughs) I'm a priestess and a witch too. And, you know, I started learning more together. We read books. I went to school in North Hollywood and there was this witchy bookstore nearby and we would go there on our breaks and learn to read tarot cards and learn about the moon and chanting and we would go into what we considered the woods, which in LA is like hills of landfill basically probably with trees on them, you know. (laughs) There's some beautiful, beautiful hiking trails there that we would find. For me, it was really like about feeling free and connected and connecting not just to what felt like my people and the earth, but also this lineage and tradition. Since then, I've had many iterations of it because I was sort of like, I come from Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jewish people and we have our own magical traditions and I sort of don't need to Hmm. do this Northern European witch stuff, which actually isn't my tradition. So that has shifted over the years. But yeah, I mean, I think like as a young person, It was such a life-saving find and connection and learning for me. So I hear you talking about like the queerness and the witchiness sort of 
coming through together, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you've led workshops before on the topic of queer magic Mm -hmm. and would love to just hear a little bit from you. What is queer magic? What does it (laughs) feel like? What does it look like? That is a really good question. You know, I recently did a workshop on queer magic in a like queer performance studies class at Wesleyan. And I was like, oh geez, these millennials have been steeped in reading all this queer theory and Donna Haraway, and they're just gonna be asking me about queer temporality. And I'm gonna be like, um, I'm like a middle-aged mom. (laughs) (laughs) By the way. But it was so incredible. And I think the way that I'm kind of like coming to this question is that my favorite way to talk about queer magic is really in collective. I mean, I don't know what it is in some ways. It arises so differently in groups of people and means so many different things to people. But I think about the questions that come up around queer magic of like, what is queer about Mm -hmm. magic, Mm -hmm. you know? And what is magical about queerness? Mm -hmm. Just thinking about the way that so many queer people, we create our own relationship with time and family structure and kinship. We create our own languages. We create our own ways of being and moving through the world and our own ways of cultivating relationship and friendship and dressing ourselves like altars. And there's such a power and magic in that. And I think being able to be both inside and outside of time and inside and outside of a culture, like a dominant culture, It's not just theory, actually. It's the living of it that has this power and all the ways in which we find ways of accessing that magic and our own magic when we live in ways that are authentic and beautiful and wild and free and really alive. Mm -hmm. And when you use the words like witch or magic, I feel like magic especially right now, but also witch is like becoming very popularized, Mm. right? Which I would imagine, I mean, you've been doing this for some time. It probably wasn't as trendy 10 years ago to talk about magic as it is right now. And I'm curious, is there any part of you that sort of wants to have a stance around like, well, what do you mean when you're talking about magic? Can it refer to something sparkly and commercialized? Or like, what is the true definition that you're using when you talk about witchiness or magic? Mm. Like, what are the, the bones and teeth of that? Yeah. I want people to be able to use whatever words they want to use and to be able to relate to and connect with words that really feel true to them. And, you know, I definitely have a lot of resistance and feelings about anything that capitalism gets its little greedy hands on and commodifies and tries to sell back to us. You know, there's a really fine line between when things have this sort of collective zeitgeist and when things are trendy and you know I think about that with crystals where it's it's on one hand like wonderful that people are finding the beauty and the magic and the power of stones but like all rocks are actually really wonderful and can be good allies it doesn't need to be something super sparkly and sold at Urban Outfitters and you know especially when like what's magical about terrible unethical mining practices that are mostly done by people in the global south and these conditions that are not livable for people being sold, like who's making money off of this when you buy a $20 piece of amethyst Mm -hmm. at a shop, you know? I watch myself having reactions. I don't feel like I am a person who wants to have say over what words people can use and be like, what do you mean by that? And at the same time, I feel like what it means to me is being in service to 
earth and spirit and people. For me, it feels like it's so much a part of my radical politics. I definitely believe in the magic of fashion and accessorizing. There is a total healing magic to the way that we relate to materials. Hmm. But that's not where the magic is. The Mm. magic is in our relationship to those things. So the magic is in our relationship to the stone or our relationship to the piece of fabric or to the plant. And so if we're not in right relationship with those things, just like if we're not in right relationship with humans, you know, if we're just like using something and it's like Mm. literally just an accessory, to me that feels like bad magic. It feels like we're stuck in the spell of capitalism. We're stuck in the spell of scarcity and greed and materialism. And to me, magic and like engaging even with magical objects is about being in right relationship, which means having ethics and thinking about who it impacts and not separating our politics around structures of oppression and our magical or healing practices. That is very much part of it for me. Mm. Yeah. So what does that look like? I mean, I know you see clients in this room here and talk to people around the country, maybe around the world. I don't know. And I would imagine that some of those folks find a lot of refuge with you because of the political lens that you bring, either from, you know, folks who identify as activists or who are experiencing marginalizations and need to understand that their practitioner sees Mm -hmm. those dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, over the length of your practice, and I'd be interested to know if anything has changed in the past, you know, year or two as the political climate has become more openly volatile, what are some of the patterns that you're seeing And Mm -hmm. folks who are coming to you for Mm -hmm. healing work and asking for support, are there things that you're noticing that are like happening for our bodies and hearts and minds in these times? Hmm. I love this question because I feel like when I talk to individuals, one of the things I really feel is like this thing that you're bringing that can feel so isolating and you can feel so much shame and embarrassment around. I can't tell you how many other people are talking to me about this, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think one of the things that a good practitioner brings is that feeling of company. Like, I can't fix this, but you don't have to be alone in bearing it because of me, but also because of the web of people that I am connected to and that we get to connect to together. I mean, first of all, everybody's having a hard time sleeping. Mm. When I talk to somebody who's like, I sleep pretty well, I'm like, enjoy yourself because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad for you. Um, people are having a really hard time sleeping. People are really struggling with their relationship to social media and telephones and mm. TV and computers and trying to find the line between what's self-care, how like watching a TV show can feel so relaxing and easeful after a really hard day of doing activism or organizing work, but like what then starts to feel like it's addictive behavior or takes you out of your body or like starts to mess with your sleep. A lot of people struggle with that. And then there's just sort of like people really working with a lot of ancestral trauma and ancestral Mm. inheritances, like patterns of addiction, patterns of feeling haunted, patterns of feeling like even if in this lifetime they're doing great, actually. There are people I work with who are like the first in their line of people who are doing work that they love or are in a healthy and, and functional relationship or relationships who found a home who you know and are struggling with an ancestral inheritance of not enoughness or not deserving that or like feeling guilt around that people who are struggling with just like actually trying to find good meaningful work or finding their purpose 
And then a lot of people who are dealing with pretty intense body projects, like Lyme disease or other kinds of chronic illness, you know, people come to me not so much to be like, what herbs can you give me to help me feel better? Mm. I think people know that that's kind of not the way I work. And my work is so grounded in and enlivened by disability justice framework. And I mean, my life is made better because of disability justice work. It's so much of how I understand myself and my journey and my healing work. And that's like another reason why I think I really love working with magic, with energy, is it really helps us undo a kind of ableist framework that is so much a part of wellness culture, you know, even in herbalism. Like I think a lot of times people leave Western medicine, allopathic medicine, and go to herbs thinking this is going to be more helpful and actually find the, find the same patterns there in terms of blaming people for not feeling well or not believing people mm. or thinking that the power balance is off in terms of like a practitioner being the expert on your body. And even with energy workers, people who are just sort of like, oh, you know, obviously this has to do with your mother. Or even people who are like, these patterns are about structures of oppression, about racism, about classism, about the way you're experiencing misogyny or transphobia. But it's like, well, now what are we going to do with that? You know, Mm -hmm. like, great, I'm glad we've figured out some origins of why I feel like crap. Mm -hmm. But it feels like a lot of work to actually try to figure out how to move with it or how to live with that. To me, it feels like it brings up this question of what healing is. I've been in practice for over 10 years, and at one point I thought about the word wholeness. I was like, okay, well, that seems like an okay term. And then I was like, that's not quite it, or like aliveness. But then mm. I've worked with enough people who's actually like their healing journey was, was dying. And my mm. work was to support them in the dying process. And so I think just like being able to be with people and hold possibilities for whatever healing means for them mm. and for healing disconnection to kind of like loop back to your question of like, what are people coming in with? Mm. It feels like something that's underneath a lot of those things is like disconnection, disconnection from ourselves, disconnection from our bodies, disconnection from earth, disconnection from our traditions, disconnection from our ancestral lineages, the ways in which an empire culture, capitalism, white supremacy works to disconnect. That is an aim. Capitalism functions on our disconnectedness. Mm. And so can healing look more like connecting rather than trying to get better or even relieve symptoms when that's not possible, you know? Obviously, if that's something that someone's wanting, that's what we work towards. But I work with some people who are dealing with such intense symptoms who are dealing with like chronic or acute late stage Lyme or other things where it's just sort of like, it's a relief to them that that's not our goal. Hmm. You know, like we are in a non-linear healing journey and we are going to be together. You are going to have company. And no matter what, can you feel more connected? Like Mm. even within all that pain and all that suffering, can our work together bring more connection to something? Hey, y'all. Let's take a quick pause in the conversation so that I can tell you a little bit more about this incredible gift from Dory that has gone live on our Patreon account right now. So you can head over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash healing justice to check it out as I tell you about it. 
and you'll look for the photo of a colorful bottle when you get there. If you're on your browser, on a computer, you'll see this on the right-hand side. And if you're on your phone, you'll see it as you scroll all the way down. So Patreon is the way that our generous donors give monthly to support the work we're doing to bring you the resource of this podcast. And it not only funds the podcast as an audio project that's free to everyone, but also a lot of behind the scenes organizing to bring healing resources to frontline communities who need it most. And while supplies last, as a gift to you, very special first time we've ever done it, we are offering a gift from Dory Midnight herself to all of those who become patrons at the $13 a month level and above. So I wanna tell you a little bit about this gift because it's really special. I have had uh, one of my own for the past year and use it often. It's something that travels with me to things like the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute in Detroit, to Liberation School at the Highlander Center, which many of you heard about in episode 11. Um, I bring it to Momentum Organizing Trainings, and it's just a great thing to have in sort of my medicine bag, so to speak, uh, to be able to share with people. So if you're signing up to give $13 a month or more, what you'll receive is this special Yes Liberation Essence from Dory Midnight. And this is sold at $22 plus shipping. So you're getting a great deal. And this is an elixir for resilience and healing in the face of racism and oppression. Dory describes it that it buoys our hearts and spirits for the work ahead, supports our anger to flow, igniting us with courage and creativity to transform oppressive structures and systems. It inspires radical dreaming, wild imagination, and moving with love. And it's been witchcrafted with essences of petrified wood, bloodstone, tiger iron, selenite, fireweed, oak tree, dandelion, mycelium, ocotillo, new moon protest, and a spell for collective liberation in spring water and brandy. So you can note here, this does contain a small amount of alcohol. And you will receive this via mail with love in early July. And unfortunately, we can only afford to ship it within the continental US. Um, So if you already give at a $13 a month or above level, we will be sending you this gift as a bonus act of appreciation for your generosity. And if you already give on our Patreon at a lower level that's below 13 a month, You can sign on to Patreon now and click to claim this reward. And by increasing your donation to $13 a month or above, you can qualify to get this too. And if you're not really all about getting an essence in the mail or you sort of feel like, well, I wanna give to support, but I don't need any of that money spent back on sending me something. um, We also have a new reward level where you can sponsor an appreciation gift for one of our amazing guests or volunteers. So I added it up this weekend and a whopping 79 people gave of their time and energy to bring you these healing resources during this first season of the podcast. Holy cow, 79 people. 
You've heard most of them via their voices on the podcast sharing their brilliance, via stories and practices. But some of those people have also been behind the scenes doing audio editing, uh, graphic design, um, advising, helping with fundraising ideas. Um, and we want to give a gift to these folks. There is certainly a uh, not money to pay 79 people or make donations to all of those organizations out of what we fundraised yet that would be a dream someday but we would at the very least love to send them something really sweet as an encouragement as a thank you as a token of appreciation from this whole community as an end of season gift when we wrap season one in about a month so on the patreon at patreon.com healingjustice If you sign up at the $8 a month level, you can sponsor one of these end of season gifts for someone who has so generously given of their time and wisdom uh, to share with you on the podcast this season. So thank you so much for sticking with me as I fill you in on all those details. Um, We are doing our best to just give you the good stuff here on the podcast uninterrupted without selling you stuff. Um, and also asking for reciprocity by crowdsourcing the resources that we need to keep bringing you this project every week for free. And also just wanting to make giving fun for you, right? So you can head over to patreon.com slash healing justice to scoop up one of those new rewards now. And now we'll go back to talking with Dory. Thanks for listening. I would love to ask you just a little bit about the methodology that you practice and namely your training in herbalism and the concept of drawing on more connection from the earth as supports for us. Mm -hmm. In this methodology that you use, what is sort of the underlying framework or orientation Mm -hmm. that tells us that using plants and working in harmony with the earth is of support? Yeah. I think we were talking about this a little earlier, just about, for me, widening our net of possible allies. That's something that we do as organizers that we know is like an effective organizing, effective and like deep and wise way to work. So I think about like, what would it be like to widen our net so that it includes everybody and everything so that we are in collaboration with everything to include the not visible world, to include the not human world, the more than human world. So when I think about working with plant medicine or any of the other modalities that I work with, it's really about partnership and collaboration. Like you are partnering with a plant in healing. And I think that really takes us out of this kind of like reductive, extractive relationship that colonialism or white culture kind of puts on how we interact with healing modalities of sort of like, I'm sick, something is inadequate in me, but if I take something that's outside of me and put it into me, it will fix me. Or if this other person has wisdom about me or knowing about me, they'll fix me. And how it displaces our power, we miss this opportunity for radical intimacy that can happen with healing. So I think when I'm talking about connection, I can use the word connection or I can use intimacy and how cultivating an intimacy with plants, how cultivating intimacy with a practitioner, cultivating intimacy with ourselves, with people who we're healing with, with the ground, with the stars, with 
our ancestors. That feeling of connection is so healing and really undoes so many of the structures of oppression that create the toxins that we are sick from. So that's kind of how I work with plants or stones or ancestors or spirit is in like a great big collaboration. Hmm. I love that concept of widening our net of allies beyond people. When we were talking before, just thinking about how hard it is just even to widen our net looking for allies like a little bit with human beings. (laughs) Because disagreement or pain or not understanding one another and not speaking one another's language in so many ways, like all of that is so taxing. And there's something beautiful and healing i also think about like pets and animals Mm -hmm. in our lives right like about these relationships that we can have that are actually not about articulating belief systems Mm -hmm. but are just about being because when you're out in nature or with plants or whatever there's not like an intellectual conversation to be had really (laughs) that's right yes yes i think it takes imagination But it's actually in some ways easier to connect with the more than human world because there's not all of those interpersonal dynamics going on. Mm. I mean, I think with ancestors, it kind of depends on which ancestors you're connecting with. Like if you're connecting with some heavy, heavy ancestors who are coming with some intense stuff, like those aren't the first ancestors to connect with, by the way. You want to meet an ancestor who's been a pretty happy ancestor somewhere in your lineage before you start welcoming in and having tea with like the most traumatized ancestors. And we all have some ancestor at some point from some of our lines who are cool and like ready to help and aren't just going to be like, I have this gaping wound Mm. that I need you to help me with. So other than them, I think it's good training to widen our web with people because we're like, oh, okay, like I can connect with plants. And when I'm having a hard time connecting with people for all the reasons why it can be hard, you still have your plant friends. They're not going to disappoint you, which I think comes up so much in movement work. Mm. They're not going to judge you. You're not going to project on each other. I mean, you are going to project on the plants (laughs) (laughs) because you are a human and that's what we do. Um, But the plants are not going to project on you. They're just going to be plants. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of how plant medicine works too, is like, you know, you look at a plant and the plant is not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm a cedar tree. I should have been a redwood tree. Redwood trees are so much taller and older and more beautiful. The cedar tree is just like, I'm a cedar tree. I am amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And similarly with stones, humans have so much to learn. Because we live in such a human-centric, we've made ourselves the center of something, but we are absolutely not the center. Mm. And we already are collaborating. Like, we are eating, we are breathing, we are drinking water, we are sleeping under stars. Like, we already are in collaboration. We just need to recognize it and put more attention and energy into those relationships. Mm. So what's at the center? You said humans are not at the center. It's okay to also to say, I don't know, because that's like, <laughs> what is ultimate truth? Why are we midnight? <laughs> but it, it you yeah. know. Mm. I don't know. And I actually, I love not knowing because it's like what keeps me alive is like, I don't know. I could like, I could answer that question in a million ways or no ways and just be like, hmm. this is a place where I feel actually really grateful for coming from a tradition that loves questions coming from a Jewish tradition. People use the phrase Judeo-Christian a lot, which does not work for me and for probably most Jews because they're not a culture that shares that kind of culture. So in Judaism, there's just like 
a love of inquiry. And I think, you know, I grew up going to Hebrew school three days a week. I grew up in a very Mizrahi rich, which is um, mostly Persian Jews synagogue in LA. And in Hebrew school, which I hated and spent a lot of time at McDonald's across the street, I will admit. But the times that I was in Hebrew school, something that I gleaned from my time there was just the beauty of the question and how the question is where the spirit is. It's where the juice is. And so thinking about, okay, what's at the center then? Just even asking that question, like, relocates our position as the center. Mm -hmm. What's at the center? The mystery and the not knowing brings us into a kind of humility that I think we need, too. What's at the center of anything? It's the heart. And so what's at the center? It could be love. And isn't love also mystery? And isn't love also magic? And isn't love also what moves us to keep pursuing liberation and justice work and to keep healing and to keep being in connection with other people, even though they're total pain in the asses, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that I could imagine at the center. And if I figure it out, I will totally let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe there's something a little bit simpler too, which is thinking about the folks who come to you and some of the things that folks are working with that you described. Mm -hmm. And specifically activists, since that's most of who we're talking to on this podcast. Hey, activists. Hey, organizers. (laughs) What are some of the supports Mm. that you would recommend? Simple things people can do or or paradigm shifts or plants they can rely on. Mm -hmm. I know it's not as supportive as necessarily having a practitioner that you can go to in your own community, although highly would recommend that. I mean, Mm -hmm. having that accompaniment seems irreplaceable. But are there simple things that you feel could be spoken to the whole right now that are useful? Hmm. Yeah. Probably 60 to 70% of the people I work with are organizers and activists and change makers. Hmm. And I just want to let everybody know that everybody's seeing a witch. And so you can come out of the closet (laughs) and admit that you are totally witchy and weird and woo-woo. Okay. (laughs) And for those of you who aren't, welcome to the club. I don't think you'll turn back now because it's... You've, you've made it this far in to, <laughs> to listening to this conversation. You haven't turned it off yet. <laughs> One thing I would say is like, think about something you're already doing. Hmm. And how is that already a practice that's sort of like a ritual or something that you could make more of a ritual? I see people in their lives trying to start a new practice, having a really hard time maintaining it, kind of getting into a cycle of shame and self-blame and then being like oh i'm not this enough that defeats the purpose of what you're trying to do in the first place which is do something that is supportive so that you can do the work that you're doing in the world Mm -hmm. so one question is like what are you already doing that you can use as one of these things so some of the examples would be you have a cup of tea or coffee in the morning can that be a moment where you don't do anything you don't engage with your phone you just sit and you drink and you think about what substance you're taking into your body Are you taking in water? Where did that water come from? How does it feel when the water goes into your body? What is water giving you? And to be in mutuality, what can you give to water? Have you said thank you to your water source, to the reservoir, to the tap, to the Department of Public Works? Are you drinking tea? Are you drinking coffee? Where does your coffee come from? Where do these plants come from? Coffee is a plant, by the way. (laughs) So you are partnering with a plant to give you energy throughout your day. Can you connect with it like a plant and give it gratitude, express gratitude to the workers, the growers, the people who transported it, and the plant itself? 
Hmm. and feel its effects in your body. If you're drinking tea, same thing. Like, what is that tea doing for you? Where is it from? What's its story? And just, like, listen. Do you daydream? Do you, like, sit on the subway as you're going places or in a meeting when you're spacing out? Are you daydreaming? Daydreaming is a total magical practice that can be turned into something that's supportive. I think especially because our sleep often is really disrupted for a lot of different reasons. We don't have the dream time that we need to replenish ourselves or to have Hmm. kind of wild visioning time. So give yourself the gift of daydreaming and let yourself vision and feed your imagination. So those are just some kind of things that you're already doing that you could see as magical. If you were gonna take on a new project or a new practice, I guess rather than saying like a specific thing, I think that's something that I really feel to go back to what is healing or what is it that I do or what is it that we can do to support ourselves. It's reflected in what's happening for me at this moment as you're asking me this is I notice when I scroll through my phone even or I'm looking on Instagram, there's so much advice on what to do right now. Hmm. Like there's like, you know, watch the moon cycles, take nettles, you know, do a yoga practice. Like there's so much advice coming at us. And believe me, I am an Aries Jew. Like I have no problem telling people what to do. I love, I'm like total bossy pants. But when it comes to actually being with people, that does not come in because I think a place that we can go is actually listening. Hmm. And I think that even relates to sort of what I was talking about, about like drinking our coffee or our water or our tea is deep listening. So whatever it is that you're doing, can you slow down and listen and listen for whatever wants to communicate with you? Listen to yourself, listen to your body, listen to your dreams, listen to your ancestors, listen to what they're trying to tell you or what they're needing or wanting. Listen to your neighbors, listen to each other, listen to birds, listen to trees. Have a practice of listening and whatever it is that catches your attention, if like any of those words that I just said was like, that's what I wanna do, that's what I wanna listen to, or if there's something else that you're like, but what about this? Listen to that. Hmm. Because what listening does is it helps us quiet and stop and be in ourselves but also connect with something else the thing that we're listening to and so that helps us cultivate that kind of intimacy that i think can be so healing and then we know how to respond then we know what to do so you know rather than give you another prescription of sort of like take this herb or cultivate this practice like i know that we're all working so hard to take such good care of ourselves and each other already and we are putting so much effort into that. So can we create a practice that is effortless, that's really actually about receptivity and softening? Hmm. That's an amazing invitation. I feel like most of the people in my life, and definitely myself, are approaching our healing from the same sort of doing orientation that we're approaching all the things that are making us exhausted. Totally. (laughs) And so I love that idea of just sort of looking for what you're already doing and not creating a cycle of here's all these additional things I need to fit into my life that already feels so fast paced and urgent. Yeah. And then to go into a cycle of shame and self-deprecation around now I'm also not making time for self-care and I'm not doing the healing work I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like we are working so hard and then 
we create all these reasons to feel even worse about ourselves. And, you know, I mean, honestly, it's like here we are really trying to find our way out of colonialism and out of capitalism. And we're just recreating that in wellness culture of just being like, do more, mm. be more productive. Like even our the way that we try to hold wellness is sort of this productivity, like check it off your list or like do this thing or get this thing. And it's not just good for us. It's kind of being able to draw ourselves out of that kind of thinking and mm. be like, you just need to sit down and be quiet. Like if I was going to be, <laughs> it would sound like that. You know, that's where my bossiness comes out of just like actually being in this kind of deep receptivity so that we know even how to discern when to go slow and when to go fast. It's not like we should always be slow. Mm. We should always be slow paced. There's some things that really necessitate, like we need to be acting with urgency and there's urgent things happening. You know, for me, that looks kind of like, you know, I'm self-employed, I do healing work, I have a kid, and I do organizing work. So for me, sometimes the way I support myself is going to be that I fall asleep at 8.30 in my clothes, putting my kid to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's also sometimes going to look like me having a cold, but showing up for a rally at the Office of Homeland Security and like bringing a thermos of tea and having hand warmers in my socks or whatever, you know, where it's just sort of like, I know this isn't like the best thing for my body, but I also am listening. And so I'm being guided rather than like by a sense of urgency, but by heart tells me that that's urgent. You know, I think that's what wise healers do. And that's like why I do the work I do is this is what I'm in service to. Mm. And so this is urgent. Like I need to show up at the office of Homeland Security. I need to show up and make these herbs and be in community with people whose lives are being torn apart by ice. And I'm not doing that from my head or from a sense of obligation. And so it's the same, I'm approaching my own care. It's not separate from my own care or care of my community. Hmm. In terms of being a healer who is very much politicized, it's not just like, oh, I have a sliding scale and I see activists. It's like the way I approach healing Hmm. and the way I approach my organizing, it's like the way I approach my activist work, I'm coming at it from a place that's in my heart that's about healing, that's about being in service to liberation, that's about being in service to justice, that's about being in service to like all beings, all beings, this whole planet, this earth, all of the wounds that are manifesting through our bodies and through the earth body and showing up for that with the skills that I have. Mm. And I can't be of service to that if I'm not also, you know, I mean, we know this. We're not cars, actually. Like, we're not doing maintenance. You know, I'm not just like, I have to fill up my tank with gas and I have to take myself to the station. No, I'm actually a human being. I don't know what I'm made of, but I'm closer to a plant than I am to a car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm closer to being like a star, probably, than I am to a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's such a cool invitation around this question of what am I in service of? Mm. Because I feel this tension around the self-care conversation and there can be sort of like a bourgeois angle to that Mm -hmm. that becomes like caring for the self at the expense of what else is happening in our community. And, And I'm with you. There's been moments in my life where I have shown up, even though I didn't have time to get any healthy food today, and I had a cold and I'm sick and I went and protested at the Wisconsin state Capitol for like 12 hours mm-hmm. with inadequate footwear on the mm-hmm. ice, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that that's come from a place of compulsion. That's mm-hmm. come from a place of an unintegrated 
sense of never being able to do enough Mm -hmm. that I have shown up in that way and it's been harmful to me and it hasn't been ultimately of deep significance to the cause. Right. But there's also been a lot of times where I've been recruiting for things as an organizer and some of the people who are the best at listening to their bodies also would infuriate me the most in terms of the amount of permission they will create for themselves to almost never show up. Mm-hmm. It agitates me because I could see myself getting to that place. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think there's probably moments where I have where there's mm-hmm. like really hard decisions we need to make all the time mm-hmm. because we can't always be there for our community and always be there for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just too much need. Yeah. And so I love this question of like, well, what are we in service of? And that sometimes, even though my body might need X, my heart and spirit might actually need mm-hmm. to be reassured that when I'm witnessing injustice in the world mm-hmm. to go be with my people where we remind one another through the action that we take together mm-hmm. that we actually aren't powerless right and that might be a healing moment for me right yes yeah yeah i mean i think that speaks to sort of like you know as someone who has struggled with lots of different kinds of intense body situations and illness and disability people need to be supported to do what the thing is that's going to be okay for their bodies for me feeling into my own resiliency too and be like, I can do this even though I'm sick. Like I don't have to get rigid around what self-care looks like. I think when we get into a thing where it's like either we're taking care of our community or ourselves, Mm -hmm. we're gonna lose both things. Mm. We lose. But when those things are more integrated, then everybody wins in a way. And I think that there's this question of what are we in service to? And I think this sense of reciprocity or mutuality, like how can whatever we're doing also be nourishing to us? Like I think that we are in crisis, we are in urgency, and also that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to respond in an ungrounded, urgent way. And I think this goes back to connecting with our more than human allies and being like, there's also just the marching on of time. There's also what the plants, what the trees and the stones and the mountains have witnessed in millions of years. They have a lot of wisdom about time and about ways in which we can step back for a minute and be like, what would happen if I even waited five minutes? (laughs) Like in the grand scheme of things. Like, what are those five minutes going to do? And kind of right-sizing ourselves as agitators and makers of change and also tiny little ant. And like, what does a spider accomplish in their day? I have worked with Joanna Macy. She's in her 90s now. And she's like, I don't think I'm going to get to know how this turns out Mm. in my lifetime. Mm. And I feel like that's actually a really great place to start from, even as like someone in your 20s or 30s or 40s. Like you actually might not know how this is going to go in your lifetime. Similarly to healing, where it's like a nonlinear process, it's not goal-oriented. We're not actually trying to achieve stasis. And I actually think this undoes a lot of the ableism in healing and Mm. in a lot of ways in activism and organizing work, where it's like we're not trying to achieve normality or stasis or placidity we don't even know what liberation looks like Mm. in the same way that we don't know what healing looks like so we need to be really attuned and really listening so that we can stay in aliveness and attunement to whatever is unfolding and respond to whatever is unfolding but if we get rigid about the place that we think we're going and that applies to healing or in organizing i think Mm. it can be heartbreaking Mm. exhausting and really unsatisfying. So I think kind of staying open to 
the mystery both in healing work and in change-making work. Like, we don't know what this is going to look like. And the more that we spend time, I think, like nourishing our imaginations about what liberation feels like and that it's not about achieving a goal of perfection, Mm -hmm. the more possibilities that that opens up for us. Yeah. That wherever we're going, it's going to be dynamic. Mm. I want to ask you, we talked about several options for practices you could offer, and I hope we'll have a chance to have you on again to offer more in the future. But I know today that you're going to be offering us something specific around essences. Mm. I'm wondering if, you know, for folks who listen to the podcast regularly, you already know that the conversations come out on Tuesdays and on Thursdays, there's a corresponding practice. So Dory, can you give us a little preview of what is kind of the title and quick description of the practice you're going to share so that folks can look forward to doing that with you. Sure, yeah. So many people already know about essences, even if you don't know that you do. Something like Rescue Remedy is a flower essence formula. And flower essences or gem essences are basically an energetic imprint of a flower or a stone or a moment in time that people take for support and healing. I love plant medicine and I love tinctures. But something that I especially love about essences is that they're low impact. You don't even have to pick a flower. With stones, it means that people don't have to privately own precious stones. They are really accessible and affordable, basically free, because it's just water and whatever plant material you're using, with like a little bit of brandy thrown in, which you'll learn about when I explain it. But what I really love about them is that it's a way to practice the radical intimacy that I was talking about. Because when you sit with a plant and you make an essence, you're basically in a self-determinist practice. What is the medicine of this flower? It's really up to you to know. So it's self-determinist, and then you engage in a kind of collective practice of like, what are other people feeling about this plant medicine? What have other people said, and how does that resonate? It's this beautiful people's medicine that brings you into a state of listening, basically listening to a flower or listening to a stone, listening to your own experiences, because Everything in the making of it is relevant, how you feel, what you see, what you notice. It's a really like a learning practice in listening and looking. And then you take it. And so then you create this daily ritual for yourself of taking this medicine that you've made for yourself or someone you love that helps you nurture the relationship that you want to have with this plant or this stone. And it's cost you next to nothing. You can think of it in so many different ways, but a frame that you can think of it in is that it's magic. You know, I think about people who are really into astrology and can't schedule meetings because of Mercury in retrograde or whatever. I guess part of me feels like if you are going to blame not being able to turn your computer on on the way that the stars and the planets are moving, how can it not be true that taking water that has a flower in it, like a piece of earth in it, isn't going to affect your body? Hmm. We are affected by so many things, Mm -hmm. and actually plants are very, very, very strong. So... It doesn't matter to me if people believe in it or not. You can also just try it and Mm. have it be fun. But that's a little bit about essence making, and I'm really excited to share how to do it. You were making essences when you were a kid, probably. You just put flowers in a bowl and mush them together. A lot of people did that. Totally. So we already know how to do it in a lot of ways. It's just now I'm going to tell you how to redo it. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I love the invitation both around like just the sheer material practicality of earth and water being obviously sustaining forces mm. and then also a little bit of magic and a little bit of witchiness in figuring out what we're going to put into our essences. And so you can download the next episode if you want to try on making an essence with Dory Midnight. I just want to thank you so much for not only your hospitality here in your practice space and your home, but also sharing 
a depth of wisdom that can only come from many, many years of practice bridging these multiple worlds Mm -hmm. and for passing that on to us in the medicine and healing work you do and then also through your teaching and your stories. So thank you, Dory. Mm, Kate, it's such a pleasure and honor to be talking with you and I just like I'm sending so much love to you and the work that you do and like radiating blessings to all of the people listening right now for your work. So grateful to get to share this space and think about all the spaces that our voices are now in. Mm, thank that you. is total magic. So thank you for your work. <laughs> you just heard a conversation between Dory Midnight and Kate Warning. That's me. Remember to check out our brand spanking new rewards at patreon.com slash healing justice to get one of a limited quantity of magical essences made by Dory herself as a reward for donating to support this podcast. Thank you for your generosity. You can download the corresponding practice to learn from Dory about how to make an essence of your own as well. These are incredible instructions and so fun to follow. The possibilities are endless. So if you're listening to this right when it comes out, you'll see that the practice episode won't post until Thursday. So you'll have to wait just till Thursday. You can also find Dory teaching in person in September, co-hosting a retreat with her friend Alokin in Massachusetts titled Remedies and Rituals for Heartbreaking Times. There's more info on that in the show notes. And hey, we might be coming your way in person this June if you'll be at AMC in Detroit, the Allied Media Conference. Our team will be there hosting a Healing Justice Podcast Story Lab on Friday at 11 in the morning. And we'll be making media of our stories and resilience practices together with everyone who comes to the workshop. And that sound and those visuals and all of that goodness will be turned into a future episode of the podcast. So come join us. And we are also hosting a lunch meetup on Saturday at Allied Media Conference called Podcasters Unite, along with our friends from Tonic Podcast. This is a meetup for all current podcasters, people who are currently working on a podcast. So we would love for you to join us. And hey, we'll also be at Common Bound in St. Louis that following weekend hosting a workshop and community conversation there called Healing Justice and the Economies of Care, along with our friends from the local 4A project in St. Louis. So if you are listening to this right now and happen to be at Common Bound or Allied Media Conference, please, please, please come through to our workshops and introduce yourself to us. It is one of the greatest joys to meet y'all in person. So come say hey. Links are in the show notes as always to find our email list, our social media. So stay in touch. We share some pretty gorgeous stuff every single day. And big, big thank you to Abigail Bariola for editing this episode and to Zach Meyer at The Coal Room for mixing and production. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. Hear you next week. <laughs>